Jesus has risen. Those of us in Christ, so shall we. What a great hope. Let me give you some perspective. Last year at this time, snow covered the ground. This room was empty, save for the worship team, and we were recording on an iPad, sending it out to you. What a difference a year makes. And it's been a challenging year, but God has been faithful to meet us through it. But here's the truth, and I think so many of you know this. Into every life, hardship and difficulty comes. And sometimes it's a bitter pill to swallow. It may be the death of a loved one. It might be hardship. It might be physical difficulties. It might be a financial or career struggle. It might be injustice, something unfair that happened. It might be abuse in a relationship or the loss of a relationship. Or a tragic accident. But it comes to each one of us in some form. And that incident or incidents or happenings, they affect us profoundly to the point where we are tempted to lose hope. To lose hope even in God Himself. And growing up, there was a family that was close to us, and they had a young son who had leukemia and died. And when that boy died, it, it devastated that family. So much to the point where they were angry at God. And they turned their back on him, saying, no more will I pursue you. No more will I follow you. No more will I even believe in you. Now, I do not presume to judge or even be critical, because that was a very painful thing. But the sad part for me is that they were turning their back on the one who wanted to meet them in the midst of their loss and actually breathe life into a moment of death. And I think sometimes we shake our fist at God or we're disappointed or want to turn our backs on Him because somehow we've kind of created God in our own image. How we want Him to be. We have expectations for us for how He's going to care for us. How He's going to bless us. How He's going to even protect us from harm. And when He doesn't meet those expectations, well, we are tempted to jettison our hope and our faith in Him. And He has to reveal Himself. Maybe reframe and remind us of who He really is and what He has done. So, if you've been with us, we've been in the Gospel of Luke. And last week we were at the end of chapter 23. The, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and the shock that that had on the disciples and all of us, if you will. And some amazing things take place, though. We see Jesus forgiving His very executioners. We see Him extending paradise to a thief that is crucified next to Him. We see the Son turn dark in the last three hours of his crucifixion, to see how even creation itself is reacting to the judgment that comes upon the Son of God. And then the curtain is ripped in two 
to say that the, the gap between holy man, holy God, and sinful man has been bridged by what Christ has done. But at the end of the chapter, we still see the disciples hiding in fear, Jesus' dead body laying in a tomb, and the female followers from Galilee just waiting for the Sabbath to get over so they can come and minister to Jesus' dead body. They believe it's all done. Game is over. And for the followers of Jesus Christ, when Jesus died, their hope died. Let me say that again. When Jesus died, their hope died. They had no categories for a crucified Messiah. But spoiler alert, He lives. He rises from the dead. And I know you know that. We've been singing about that, haven't we? I mean, we're on the highway going 75 miles an hour. Because we are reveling in the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. But it didn't start out that way on that first Easter morning. Especially for the disciples. You see, again, they have no categories for a dead Messiah. And the resurrected Messiah, Jesus, must come and revive and resurrect the hope that they once had in Him. And maybe today He needs to come and resurrect the hope that has died in you, even today. So let me pray, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, and we're going to see how Jesus is going to bring hope from the resurrection. So Lord Jesus... (laughs) We worship you. What a great, what a great celebration to proclaim that you are king because you have risen from the dead. So help us to see, Lord, how you want to minister to us even and how you ministered to your followers even 2,000 years ago. And you, our gracious Lord, want to breathe hope into us, into this life, and for the eternity that you have for us in you. Because you have paid the price on the cross and you have conquered sin and death and rising from the dead. We worship you. So come, send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to revive our hearts, and help us to respond to you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So as we start, as Kelly read, as we start the opening verses of chapter 24, we hear rumors of hope. Verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And when we ended the last chapter, verse 55 in chapter 23, the women see where Joseph of Arimathea has laid Jesus' body and how the, the stone is is sealing the tomb. And so they come expecting to find Jesus' body dead. He was scourged. His hands, his feet had been nailed to the cross. A spear had pierced his side. And his dead body had been laying in, this is day three. 
And they've come to apply spices to what they believe is a dead and possibly decaying body. It is not a, a task that is for the faint of heart. But what they found is surprising. <laughs> Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, we're kind of going, yeah, isn't that cool? But that wasn't for them. Because they don't know what's going on. They're probably a little bit upset. I mean, they've been wrestling this whole time with the unjust death of their Messiah, of their, their rabbi to begin with. And now his body is taken, someone to desecrate it, more insult to injury. And I'm sure they are upset. What could have happened? But Luke tips his hand about what's going to happen. Because he says, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't say they didn't find the body of Jesus. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. You see, Luke is tipping his hand where this is going. He is the Lord he is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of life, the Lord of death, of heaven and earth. And He has conquered death and sin. He's alive. But the women don't know that yet. His body is missing. And then the whole encounter gets quite strange. <laughs> Verse 4. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? This has gotten stranger, okay? Open tomb, missing body, sudden appearance of these guys whose clothes is glowing. And they figured out, okay, they must be angels because... There's no market that sells this kind of clothing. Okay? Maybe we sell it now, I don't know, but you know, I mean, they're going, there's something different about these guys, and I know that they're holy messengers. And they're, they're fearful. What, what are they going to tell us? And they bow down, and the message is, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Ladies. Ladies, you're looking in the wrong place. They don't fault him for, for looking for Jesus. But they're looking in the wrong place. Verse 6, he's not here. He is risen. And then they give him this gentle rebuke. Now listen. Remember how he told you he was, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Now, if you've been going through the Gospel of Luke with us, you know there are three distinct times where Jesus says these words. He told this to his disciples, his followers, men and women. And I'm just going to read one of them. And this is right after Peter's confession. Who do people say to them? You're the Christ. You're the Lord. That's right. That's right, Peter. And now listen to this. And the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the 
elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. And they had no idea what he was talking about. They didn't get it. They didn't get it, but he told them that at least three times. Again, verse 44 in the same chapter, you can look at chapter 18, verses uh, 31 through uh, 34. Jesus had told his disciples many times, this is going to happen. I'm going to suffer, be rejected, I'm going to be killed, and rise from the dead on the third day. And if you look at verse 34 in chapter 18, it says, and they didn't understand, they had no idea what he was talking about, and they were confused. Again, because they have no concept of a dead Messiah, that he would die. But here's the point. This is what the angels are trying to say to these women. He told you this was going to happen. And he he said he was going to die, and he did. And he said he was going to rise from the grave, and he's not here. That's what he said, ladies. That's what happened. And this is what you've come to find. And then it says in verse 8, Ding, 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 ding. They remembered his words. It's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I I had no way of figuring out what he meant, but yeah, this is starting to make sense to me now. And so verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now, Luke is being charitable to the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles. Remember, Judas is betrayed and he's actually taken his own life according to the other other gospels. But there's the 11 and then there's some other disciples and probably some women and men there. And he calls them the apostles. The apostles means sent ones. They're the ones who are going to be sent out to tell the world of the good news. But they're not going anywhere right now. They're holding up. They're hiding. They're scared. And they don't know what to do with themselves. As as I said, Luke views them with future hope. And so you've got the 11, you've got the others, and they report to them what they encountered. When we got there, the stone was moved, and there's an empty tomb. These men shining, I'm certain they're angels. I'm sure they're messengers from God. And they said, he's not here. He's risen from the dead. And remember, remember what he told us? That he's going to be rejected, that he's going to be killed and crucified, and that he was going to rise from the dead? That's, That's what the angels told us. Isn't that amazing? And it's not just any women, folks. It's not just any women. These are women who had been with them the whole time. Mary Magdalene and Joanna. You read about them in chapter 8. They were women who supported Jesus and his ministry from their own means. And then you've got Mary, the mother of James. Who's that? James is one of the disciples, the son of Alphaeus. James 6... Um, Luke 6.14 talks about him. He's also known as James the Less. doesn't mean he was a lesser person. It means he was short. Okay? And, you know, so one of Jesus' disciples' mothers is there, 
you know, supporting the ministry too. I mean, so they're not strangers to this ministry. They were part of the pack, and there were others there too. But these ladies, you know, they were stalwart people. I mean, they're, they're pillars. They're the, the women's auxiliary of Jesus' Messiahship, okay? They're not just these fly-by-night people. And they were probably as dedicated to Jesus, if not more, than their male counterparts. And you know how the guys responded? Verse 11. But they did not believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Why? Wouldn't this be great news? Wouldn't you be going, oh man, that is awesome. And of course you'd probably want to go check it out, but wouldn't that be great? I mean, you thought your, your Messiah was dead, and now he's alive. Now maybe it was male bias against females, and we know culturally that was true in that time. You know, um, a woman's testimony could not be counted as valid in a court of law. And women were oftentimes treated as secondhand citizens, second-class citizens, or even as property at times. It doesn't make it right. That's just how things were, were going. And by the way, Jesus gives more dignity to women than anyone else in history, by the way. But from a human standpoint, here's, here's, here's why I'm bringing this up. If you're making up a story about a risen Messiah, okay? He was dead, but he's risen from the dead. And, and this is, you know, we're talking about some pretty incredible stuff. A guy was dead, now he's risen. You know, if you're being culturally savvy, you're not going to make women your first witnesses in your source documents. That's not how you're going to start it out. No offense to ladies today. That's, that's not the point. It's just, at the culture of the time, that's not how you would go about it from a human standpoint. Yet, in all four of the Gospels, it's the women who were the first to see the empty tomb and the risen Christ. It's the women. They're the first witnesses. Because this is God's way. This is God's way. And even though Jesus was God in the flesh, with all heaven, all power of heaven available to him, he is crucified in weakness. It seems complete foolishness from a human standpoint. And even so, making women your first witnesses might seem foolishness from a human standpoint. But this is where God is demonstrating His power. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 27. Verse where many of us are familiar with. But God chooses or chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I'm going to show my power in weakness. Not in the strength of men and their talents and what they think they can do. No, it's only God who breathes power into this. And He's breathing power into the witness of the women. The reason Jesus reveals Himself, I believe, to the women first is because they're willing to believe. They are willing to believe that He is indeed risen from the dead. The men, 
Not so much. Again, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They see him get killed, and all their hope is jettisoned. Their hope died when Jesus died. Even though he told them multiple times, I'm going to be rejected, killed, and rise again from the third day. Doesn't make sense to them. They have no categories for a dead Messiah. You know what I think it is? You know what I think why the men responded the way they did? I think it's self-protection. I think it's self-protection. It's how can I dare to hope or believe again when I was so devastated in seeing him die on the cross? I, can't, I cannot believe. I cannot go there again. Have you ever been there? Where you've had your hopes crushed and you, you just, you just go, I, I, I can't hope again. I think that's where these disciples are. They can't take the risk. But one, one does check it out. Verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, the Gospel of John mentions that the Apostle John was with Peter as well. But in the Gospel of Luke, the focus is on Peter here. Peter, who Jesus called to strengthen his brothers after he had turned back. Turned back from what? Turned back from running away and denying that he knew Jesus. Turned back to see him as the risen Lord. But right now, at this moment, All he has is an open tomb, a missing body, some strips on the ground, and the words of the women. And he's skeptical. Maybe like the rest of the disciples, he's kind of protecting himself. But he's wondering, what what happened? I'm going to tell you right now, you can probably tell by the pace of how I'm preaching, I'm not going to get to the end of this chapter today. I'm not going to get to the end of it but it's too important to rush through. And we are going to meet the resurrected Jesus today, but we'll look at the second half next week. But I'm doing this because the resurrection is the validating event of the gospel. It is the validating event of faith in Jesus Christ. And if Christ did not rise from the dead, if this is just a fairy tale, if it's just a story, then we should not be here. We're wasting our time Let's go enjoy the day. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then we are the most to be pitied. Okay? But if Jesus has risen from the dead, and that's my point, that's my conjecture, then we have reason for great hope. Maybe you saw me at the beginning of the service one of the TV stations came in, wanted to interview me before, right before the service. I'm going, oh, great, wonderful timing. But here's the point: they wanted me to ask, they wanted to ask me about the hope of Easter, and I said, okay, if you're going to put me on television, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that because the hope of the resurrection changes our lives right here on earth. And everything, every challenge you're going to face, and it changes all of eternity. The hope of the resurrection is what makes life bearable 
and what brings victory through this life after it's done. You see, I think sometimes we're like the disciples. We've lost our hope. We've lost our hope. Whether it's a hardship or wondering, why would God allow this in my life? Whether it's disappointment, I I thought you were going to do this, God. Or whether it's just, it doesn't make sense. I'm adding up all the factors and it doesn't make sense to me. But the resurrection, (laughs) the resurrection says there is hope. The resurrection says this is not the end. This is we, God's not done. And He has something better at the end of the day, at the end of this life. I'm not preaching, folks, to give you hope in this world. I'm preaching to give you hope in Jesus and His resurrection. And the hope is found in Him. Not in the American dream. Not to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. But again, sometimes we feel like our hope is dead. For the disciples, they had a dead Messiah. For us, maybe we had dead, we have dead hopes and dreams. And maybe in this COVID season, you feel like some of your dreams, some of you has died. And Jesus wants to meet you. He wants to meet you to remind you, and He wants to revive you and to hear His voice. Hear His voice. Reminding us He's not done and He can raise your hope and your faith. But that hope needs to be in Him. Not in the things of this world. So we've heard rumors of hope. And now hope is going to reveal Himself. Okay? Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Okay, so it's the same day. Morning, women come in, you know, say, hey, here's what happened. This is a little bit later in the afternoon. And two followers are getting out of Dodge, if you will. It's not the 11, but it's two followers of Jesus and they're leaving. They're leaving town. They're perplexed. They're consumed by what has taken place. But again, like the rest of the disciples, when Jesus died, their hope died. And I wonder if they're thinking about getting off the Jesus train. I wonder if they're thinking about, okay, that was an amazing time of my life, but this is done. This is done. But they meet this stranger along the way. Pick it up at verse 15. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. And their faces were downcast. It's obviously that this has had a profound impact on them. And one of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? It's like, how can you not know what's happened? 
This has affected us profoundly, but it's affected the whole city of Jerusalem. What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There it is. We hoped he was the one. We hoped he was the one who was the Messiah, who was going to make all things right. He was going to set us free from the Romans. Maybe he was going to kick out those corrupt religious rulers. He was going to bring in the kingdom of God, and we were going to reign with him. And now he's dead. And now he's dead. Verse 21, and what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. This whole thing is confusing. An empty tomb. Angels. Okay, anytime angels come up, like, boop. Okay, really? Mm, okay. You hear voices too? No body. Empty tomb. It makes no sense. And the risen Christ has to reveal himself to these downcast disciples. And he's going to start with the Word of God. He's going to start with the Word of God. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Now, Jesus wasn't being Minnesota nice here, right? <laughs> how foolish you are! What? You don't know me. And how slow you are to believe all the prophets have written. Okay, uh, what? It was harsh. <laughs> Maybe a little startling, but it was true. And so let's just take a sample size of maybe what Jesus might have shared. Hey, guys. You know at the beginning of, of, of Genesis where the man and woman, they fall and God brings the curses to them but there's a promise of hope that the woman would bear a descendant and, his, and her seed would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel? That's what God was saying was going to happen in sending his Messiah. Messiah, yes, he crushed the serpent's head and his heel was bruised, if you will, through what he suffered. Oh, and remember, you go a little bit farther into Genesis. And remember when, when God commands Abraham to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah? 
and sacrifice him. And they're walking along, you know. And Isaac says, hey, Dad, I see the fire and the wood and the knife, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide the ram. And then, you know, fast forward, Isaac's on the altar, Abraham's with the knife, and God stops him. He says, now I know that you fear God. And in the thicket, there's a ram that God provides on Mount Moriah. It's that same mountain where Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is crucified. It was a foreshadowing. God was going to provide the Lamb to take away the sin of the world. That's in the Scripture. And by the way, let's look at what David had to say in in, uh, Psalm 16.10. That the Lord will not abandon His Holy One to the grave, nor allow Him to see decay. Man, if the Messiah is risen, God kept that promise, didn't He? He wasn't talking about David. He was talking about His anointed Messiah, the risen One. And then you've got the classic passage of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. It's classic to us. I don't know if it was classic to them because they didn't get it. 53 verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds were healed. Later on, verse 9, and he was assigned with a grave with the wicked, the thieves, right? With the rich in his death. Joseph of Arimathea, it was his tomb. And though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life, resurrection. And be satisfied, and by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Is that not the gospel to us? And he will bear their iniquities. It's there. It's in the Word of God. Can you see it, guys? The suffering and death and resurrection of the Messiah has always been God's plan A. He hasn't changed personalities from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It was his plan all along. God planned to reconcile sinful mankind to himself, through himself, through Christ's suffering. There was no plan B. It was his plan from the beginning. Now, is that easy to see? No. It's not. And we like, we, like the disciples, need God to open our eyes to it. But it's there. It's there. And Jesus brings to light this understanding in his Messiah's mission just as a man who takes a suit off of a rack. And it's been perfectly tailored for him. And he puts it on, and all of a sudden it's fully animated to what it's supposed to look like. It looks so different hanging on the rack. But once it's put on, Oh, that's what that looks like. That's what's been intended. That's what God was doing. Jesus is going, do you see it? 
to see it, guys. That the death of the Messiah brings life. That's what he had to do. But now he's alive. He's alive. It's in God's Word. And I think sometimes we're looking the wrong way. We're looking the wrong way. We're blind to what God is doing. And God takes things in our lives, even suffering, and is doing something completely different than what we thought he would be doing. Think about this. This is what Jesus says when he tells people, he talks to people about following him. He says, if you want to come after me, this is chapter 9, verse 23, you must deny yourself, and you've got to take up your cross, and follow me. And if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me and the gospel, well, then you're going to save it. And Jesus is trying to say, look, follower, your life is tied up in me, in my death. Yes, you may suffer and die like I do, but it's also in my life, in my resurrection. In my resurrection. Are we looking the wrong way sometimes when we follow Jesus? Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they strongly urged him, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So we've reached Emmaus, right? But the journey for these disciples is not over, at least for their heart. And as they compel him, I mean, they strongly urge him. It's like they grab him. No, no, stay. 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 It really isn't because the sun is setting in the west. It's really because he has opened their hearts. The heartbeat of the dead hope is beating again. They are hungry and they want more. And they're hoping they're going to get more. And so, here we are at a table. Verse 30. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and began to give it to them. And then, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They recognized him. There it was. (laughs) The risen Christ had been with us the whole time. He was walking with us and ministering to us and, and opening our eyes to what God's Word had said. And my heart was brought back to life again. And for a moment, He revealed Himself so they could recognize Him as the risen Lord. He fed their hunger, but it's not a physical food, but a taste of himself as the bread of life. And so they ask each other, verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures too? Well, if they were off the Jesus train, they were back on again, right? This news was too good to keep to themselves, and they go back to Jerusalem. Sun or no sun, they had seen the sun. 
And they had to tell the others. He's real. He's keeping His Word. It's what He said. He's revealed Himself. He is alive. And I have hope again. And that's where I'm going to stop today. And there's much more. There is much more. Jesus will reveal Himself more to His disciples and then to the whole world. But I ask you again, somewhere along the way has your hope died? Do you have an expectation of life or, or God Himself where that is just dead? The resurrected Christ, who's alive and well, He wants to reveal Himself to you. He wants to reframe, reshape your understanding of who He is and what He's doing. And He has risen from the dead. And that makes all the difference. And it will bring hope. Maybe it will be a reframed or reshaped hope. But it will be brought back to life. And this time it won't be in the things of this earth. It will be in Him. And that's what I want us to be focusing in on. The hope of the resurrected Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and gives us His life. And we'll talk more about that next week. So let me pray, and I'd like to invite the worship team up to come and close us. So Lord Jesus, <laughs> as we have journeyed with these disciples through this, if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments where we confess our hope has died too. But you're really good at bringing resurrection to dead things. And so would you do a work in our hearts and would you help us to see the hope that we have in you, Lord Jesus, our resurrected Savior and Lord. And even as we go through difficult times, Lord, you are with us the whole time. And want to breathe life even into those things. And show yourself glorious and victorious. And to give us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you for the hope we have in you. Would you remind us of that all throughout this week. And bring us back again together to gather more hope in you. And what you want to do in us and through us. And what you are going to do in bringing all of time and history to a glorious end. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen.